In this week's update, week six of gains in the US. This week coming, who knows? Next step in the successful portfolio construction and management. And gold disappoints again. My name's Gary Davis. As always, this is general advice only. And please remember to like and subscribe to the video. Last week, I started um, a uh, multi-week um, series, if you want to call it that, of where successful investing uh, lies and how it can be achieved. The four key steps, get a clear and simple plan for you, understand where high probability growth resides, which is what we're going to look at today, develop an entry and management plan that works for you, and finally, stay the journey. Don't jump at shadows, don't jump at short-term movements in the market thinking that they actually mean something long term because mostly they don't so let's start with uh with the second one the the high probability growth uh area and the key criteria and this is not a definitive list of um of what you should be thinking about and looking for but it, they're certainly the most important ones you're looking for companies that dominate their niche or dominate their market. Um, and that market should have strong and reliable tailwinds for growth for at least five years, preferably 10. And that means really that it's got to be part of some um, mega trend in technology or in society or whatever it may be. But the company needs to have that tailwind that can drive earnings with, with really very little doubt. The second thing is outstanding management. You can never go past that. Um, a, a good indicator of, um, of good management is, um, is high and consistent return on equity readings. Um, secondly is that management have a, have a track record of achievement in the past. They've done things, they've built things, they've been successful on more than one occasion. And the third thing, which is very important for any successful company, is a culture, uh, the culture that's fostered within the company. And that varies from, um, from different uh, companies and different industries. But there certainly needs to be uh, an overwhelming positive culture that the company operates under. Next. The company needs to have a huge runway for growth in a market that's expanding strongly. So that's tied to the, to the first one. But certainly you need to be able to see years and perhaps even decades of, uh, of growth ahead. Barriers to competition, um, companies that, that really can be uh, competed against very easily uh, are going to find it, um, find it very hard and, and they're, they're going to lack the next thing, which is pricing power. So barriers to competition through whatever mechanism that might be, and the ability to put up prices to, um, you know, to deal with inflation and not lose market share and not lose sales is the sort of thing that you're looking for. So there's some of the absolute keys to, uh, to developing that. And it's, it's an exercise that you've You've got to do thoroughly and properly. You can't just drop in on this thing every now and again and, and you know, pick up a few tips here and there and hope to put together a, a decent portfolio that's going to perform for you over the long term. You either set aside the time and have the expertise to do this really thoroughly and properly, 
and then stay on top of it because, you know, this is a dynamic situation. It's not a matter of you identify great companies at this point in time and they're going to remain great companies for the rest of the decade. Things change. So if we look at the individual targets, this is what I look for. The probability of 20% plus, and in many cases, significantly more than 20% plus, earnings growth. So I want to see that potential, and I also want to see the probability that that potential will be realized. Now, it's impossible to get this 100% right, so you are going to get the odd lemon along the way, but at least if that is your starting point, then you're on pretty, pretty solid territory. Then when you look at the portfolio as a whole, so each individual target has the capacity and the probability to achieve that objective. Um, in my view, you need a spread across different stocks, different industries, because the dynamics will, will change, the, the timing in which they'll be in favour or not in favour will, uh, will vary. So a portfolio of 10 to 20 stocks, um, where every core stock has the capacity to produce that sort of 20% plus long-term return, a few won't. Um, but equally, the odd superstar, and we've certainly had uh, a couple of those in, um, the, in, in the Insiders Club uh, portfolio that have absolutely swamped out the, the couple of stocks that didn't make it. So looking overall, you could produce well above average returns compared to the index, compared to just about everybody else, without taking high risks. It's, it's just not required. You just need to do your homework and you need to get focused on the sort of companies that can deliver that sort of long-term performance. So next week, I'll deal with the third one, which is the entry and management plan. So look for that one. Turning now to American stocks, the S&P ended up rising uh, just 0.2% across the week because there was a dip in the early part and then a nice recovery on Friday. It was a new all-time closing high for XLK, as we'll see in a minute. Um, and as I said earlier, six straight weeks of gains now for the S&P, which, um, which is extremely positive, coming out of that late October low. And there are still some people out there that are still you know, in denial about what the US market is doing. When you get six straight weeks of gains, um, it's pretty hard to deny that. But look, just be aware, um, the market probably has got a bit ahead of itself in the short term. This is options expiry week. Um, I'll be very surprised if it's smooth sailing in this week coming. But having said that, um, the run through uh, just before Christmas through to the end of the year and uh, into January is generally pretty positive when you've had a year like we've had this year. The US dollar um, was up slightly to almost 104. Uh, the 10 year yield is still hanging around the, the low 4% area. So that's, that's down very significantly on just a couple of months ago. The VIX um, was steady at 12.3. So that's indicating the, um, I guess, the, the renewed bullishness in the market. And the, uh, the two year, 10 year bond spread yield is at negative 0.48. All right, let's jump in and look at some charts. 
this is the S&P. You can see we've now come up to quite a significant double top at this point in time. Um, and we've had a meteoric run from 4,100 to 4,600. So, um, you know, 500 points, that's about uh, 12, 14% in a very short space of time. Um, options expiry. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quite surprised if we don't get some sort of pullback that, that could bring us back perhaps to this area here, which is around the, the 45, 50 mark. So perhaps 50, 60 points um, may come out of, um, out of the S&P in the next, uh, the next few days. But look, who knows, just play it as it comes. So that's, uh, that's the S&P. Um, let's look at, um, let's have a look at the XLK. So this is the tech, the overall technology sector. If we pan back so you can see very, very strong finish on uh, Friday, very positive. And we're at, um, we're at new all time closing highs. In fact, have really been for, for several weeks. Turning now to the uh, to the key spreads, where is the money actually going? Semiconductors versus the S and P is um, is still trending upwards. We had a little bit of a retracement where the semiconductors underperformed, but um, certainly finished the week off in positive fashion. So continues to set a pretty bullish sentiment for the overall market. The Nasdaq versus the S and P, same story. Uh, we're still tracking to the upside in that ratio. So the more aggressive stocks are outperforming the more defensive stocks. Looked at on a sector basis over the last uh, quarter, you can see just how well XLK has done. There's really no change in the order from last week. Uh, finance certainly is doing quite well. Communication services and consumer discretionary. Um, so no real change there except perhaps in the last two weeks, you can see consumer discretionary and finance has, um, has certainly been, um, been outperforming. Just while I'm here, let's look at the Australian markets and the materials sector over the last quarter has definitely led the way. Um, finance, healthcare, and then small caps. And then we've got quite a, quite a big gap down to information technology. And at the bottom, is the energy sector, which has had a hard, hard time of it. A few more comments on that when we, uh, when we get to that point. So that is a summary of the US market. Uh, Aussie stocks, our dollar was at um, 65, just over 65 cents to the US dollar. Um, the ASX 200 gained 1.7%. Uh, across the week. Should be a reasonably decent start, I would have thought, on Monday in Australia. And I'm just posing the question whether the, um, whether the short squeeze on for heavily shorted uh, lithium producers, such as Pilbara Mines, um, is, is now making an appearance. Um, there's certainly some evidence there on, um, on the last uh, two or three days of the week that that is the case. And we're also seeing um, lithium miners in China uh, rallying as well. Um, and if you look at 
the price chart of Albemarle in the US, which is the world's biggest lithium stock, certainly signs of a base forming there. So this is often the way that it works because the, the news and the sentiment around lithium stocks couldn't be any worse at the moment. You know, the commentary is just terrible. There's downgrades from brokers left, right and centre. This is certainly the sort of sentiment uh, environment where, um, where you can get major bottoms. Not saying that is the case, but certainly um, because the lithium uh, sector does have its challenges, but certainly the price action gives us some indication that uh, that, that may be the case. Uh, let's look at the US dollar index. So you can see we've had a little bit of a bounce off 102 and a half, but not really anything to get excited about there. And the Australian dollar pretty much mirroring that in the opposite direction. The ASX 200, still, we're still stuck in this range that we've been, we've been stuck in now since, um, since April of, uh, of 2021. So two and a half years. And we can also go all the way back and we're barely above the peak in uh, October, 2007. So broadly diversified investing in something that resembles the index is probably not going to get you where you want to go. It's, uh, that's the bottom line that I think a lot of people are still uh, yet to recognize. Okay, while I'm here, let's look at gold. Gold's had a, an incredible roller coaster. We had this massive uh, spike breakout and reversal on the 4th of December. And then since then, it's, uh, it's sold off. And, you know, gold just continues to confound the logic, continues to um, look like an extremely manipulated commodity. Um, and it's, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to follow the gold market and has been for a number of years. That's um, gold on a weekly chart. So you can see it was quite an emphatic breakout, but it did occur at a time of, of quite um, low liquidity um, in the you know the early hours of of the start of the, the new week, and um, yeah, it's just been uh, an incredibly massive reversal. That certainly didn't do anything to help gold stocks. So if you look at GDXJ, they did come off, but nowhere near to the extent that you would have expected, given that that gold price. So I'm finding it really still remains. A, a pretty difficult and pretty confusing sector. Okay, so just confirming that gold 205. I, I did uh, pose the question last week that gold um, had reached a, uh, a major top and would confirm the breakout this week that started um, or would it get rejected in a major way? And of course, the answer we now know is that it was rejected in a major way. So I don't know what it is that's going to take take to get gold to break out and hold it on a consistent basis. Uh, converted to Australian dollars, 3078 is where we're at in the gold price. So that's profitable territory for our gold miners. And as we saw, GDXJ has sort of lost a bit of momentum again, but not as drastically as, as that sort of volatility in, in gold might indicate. Other commodities, copper, uh, $3.79, up a fraction, um, similarly with nickel. Now, in the copper market, we've got strikes. We've got 
sovereign risk issues, particularly um, in uh, in South America, um, and they're impeding output of copper. There's no question about that. Um, but the reason that the copper price is not moving is that we've still got short-term weak demand. Now that will change if um, if the world has any chance of of getting the um, the energy transition up and happening. That will change uh, progressively over the next couple of years. But at the moment, the short-term demand is weak, and um, that is is the situation that we have with uh, with copper. Nickel, of course, has some different dynamics as well. Uh, West Texas crude uh, fell to 71.26. And of course, during the week, there was the announcement, which was confirmed by the companies, um, Woodside and Santos, that that they're in um, some merger considerations. It would be roughly an $80 billion merger, which would make them one of the the giants of the the global energy market, so it will be very interesting to see uh, what happens there. But again, I've found um, the Australian energy market an extremely difficult one for a number of reasons. Um, the foremost one, of course, being just the level of government intervention that, um, that you know just makes it very difficult in Australia. Let's look at lithium, some of the news on lithium chemical prices, of course, remained under pressure, all just all adding to this negative sentiment. Uh, we've got electric vehicle sales growth is now falling behind the growth in supply. So it looks like we're going to have a surplus in 2024, which, you know, if you go back just 18 months, just seemed un- absolutely unfathomable when the you look at the prices that were being paid for for um, lithium chemicals up to $80,000 a tonne. That's now down to 20000 And for spodumene, which some spot price has gone over the $8,000 a tonne mark, and now down to 1600 with some suggestions that they could fall under 1000 Now, at that level, companies like Pilbara Mines, um, the mineral resources are still profitable at that under 1000 dollars a tonne, um, but there'll be others around the world that won't be. So this will be um, a, a naturally adjusting mechanism where prices fall to the point where um, where output uh, comes back and stabilizes prices. So yeah, this will eventually all wash through. The difficulty that we've got with the lithium market at the moment is that We've got minimal spot sales happening at the moment because prices are so low. Naturally, companies don't want to sell um, on on a spot basis into a into a very poor market. There's certainly some speculative paper trading going on, and it's all within a market that's just really still Im- immature, and price discovery is unreliable. So you know things could turn around very quickly. We've got Goldman Sachs. They're still bearish as they have been for a couple of years, um, but it's it's very likely now that the high cost producers are now losing money, and so they're only going to do it for a, a certain period of time. So this this will adjust. We will get back to the um, the very bullish outlook that we had just a couple of years ago for lithium, but it might take a little bit longer yet. And I guess the thing that I still look at is, and this is definitely longer term, 
but the, the smartest people in the room are still incredibly bullish. And you know that they're incredibly bullish because of what they're doing with their, with their millions and their billions of dollars of investment in, um, in lithium production. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's where the long term is, uh, is heading. This is spot copper chart. You can see a bit of a gentle rise from, um, from those lows that we saw in early October. Nickel still struggling. The outlook there for nickel is, um, is not particularly pretty in the short to medium term. Wrapping things up, um, one of the things that I've always um, said to, to my members over the years is the point that you're trying to reach is to get to a level of what I'd call just quiet confidence in the process that you're using. And it's just so essential to be able to reach that point. And it doesn't happen overnight. You've got to do things consistently well over a number of years to, to get to that sort of level where you're just quietly confident in the processes that you're using. The one thing that contributes to that is that you stick to a consistent plan more than anything else. And, and even if you go through periods where your plan is not working all that well because the market is just, you know, not being kind to you at the time, then you've still got to stick to that consistent plan because that helps build into the confidence process. And confidence leads to better outcomes. Yeah, that's, that's the bottom line. Portfolio analyst last week, it was um, the addition of uh, taking stock. And we certainly spent um, some time looking at the things that I just talked about in terms of portfolio construction, looking at the sort of stocks that have the capacity and the probability to produce those um, well above 20% per annum returns. They've done it in the past. Their circumstances indicate that they're very likely to do it over the next five years as well. So that was a very, um, very well-received edition of Portfolio Analyst. That's it for this week. More information on the website. There's my email address, and I'll be back with you next Sunday. Cheers.